0: Hello and welcome to the Insurgent Press podcast. My name is Liz and I'll be interviewing writers associated with the press about their work and how it came to be. This particular interview was recorded at Senate House on a cold Saturday afternoon in central London. This is where my conversation with Brian took place. Brian Kelly is the founder of Insurgent Press and the writer of the novel Murph. Described by the author as stoner sci-fi, Murph presents us with a world in which technology is increasingly out of our control. Facial recognition software has become the norm, and due to a virus, people's internet histories can be freely read. Fearing their darkest secrets will be revealed, customers swarm to Murph's joke shop in search of disguises. With this, Murph's isolated existence is burst open, and his privacy is lost when his assistant Alex becomes a famous musician. Can Murph, Alex, and the rest of the world come out of this experience unscathed? And what will they learn along the way? Let's go to that interview now. Brian, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Liz. You describe this book as stoner sci-fi. Mm. Can you explain to the listeners exactly what that means?
1: Well, I think sci-fi tends to have a broad sweep in terms of kind of what it's interested. It's interested in big ideas, isn't it? It's interested in kind of themes and dystopia, and sometimes character can be kind of uh, secondary to that. And for me, I'm more interested in people. I'm kind of more interested in kind of the Emotions of what people are going through. So, what I think what I meant by sound or what sci fi is that you know, my book is dealing with like big concepts and it is, it takes some of the tropes of kind of sci fi, mm-hmm. you know, technology and um, dystopian kind of things going out, outside of your control or whatever. But I'm not really interested in monsters or mm-hmm. dystopia as more as I'm interested in human beings in very strange circumstances. And mm-hmm. so, my book is has that stuff going along, but it's not really about that. It's about people. It's about Murph. It's about his friends. Mm -hmm. It's about them trying to navigate. Uh, They're very kind of uh, relatable characters, I think. They're very good people that we see all the time. and They're just ordinary people in really weird circumstances, and that's kind of what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean. You know, when you you start smoking weed, when you're like 14, 15, what is it about? It's about like chatting with your mates, isn't it? And it's about Mm -hmm. kind of those deep conversations that are... Kind of meandering sometimes, silly sometimes. Mm. But it's about kind of empathy, and it's about kind of an interest in other people. And, mm. you know, so that's what I mean about the standard fight. It's kind of like sci-fi without the edges. It's kind mm. of like, it's a little bit soft. It's a bit nostalgic. Um,
0: a little bit meandering. Yeah, a bit meandering, <laughs> uh, a
1: bit funny. You know, sometimes you're yeah. going to get the giggles. You're probably going to run off and eat a bag of Doritos. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. I mean, because there's a real sort of... Um, Almost a kind of rock and roll identity to the yeah. novel. Um, but at the same time, it feels like you're calling on a vast array of life experiences. I know you're studying for a PhD at the moment. Mm. Um, you reference a lot of artists, from writers like Joyce to musicians like Led Zeppelin. So, who were your influences when you were writing this novel?
1: When I was writing the novel, I mean, wide, I mean, the music thing, when I was growing up in Dublin, you know, it's very much two kind of camps, you know, it's yeah. kind of like the guys in school who are into football and stuff. Mm. And sports and getting drunk on the weekend and then there's the weird kids in the corner who are smoking weed and <laughs> listening to the cure and, you know, wearing, you know, jumpers that are like too big for you and stripy T shirts and all of that kind of stuff of grunge, you know, and punk. And, you know, those are kind of badges of authenticity, you know. It's tried isn't it? And um you know, that's how we kind of played out our identities when we were kind of figuring out who we were or whatever. Mm. Uh, so bands have always been very important to me as a kind of way to navigate my own identity in the world or whatever. Mm. But I also recognised that that can be a type of snobbery. And so I took kind of Murph, who's kind of like, he's like, he's like a bastion of kind of, this is what's really <laughs> rock and roll, and this is what's not rock and roll. Mm. And, you know, it's this kind of exclusionary power that people can have from what they claim to be authentic or what's mm. not, what's popular, what's proper art, what's not proper art, you know, mm. these kind of categories which are made up, you know. These things can be a reverse snobbery on some kind of level. So I was interested in that um, mm. as a thing, how people use rock and roll and cool. Um, in some ways it can be a, a very liberating thing because it's a way of finding your own voice in a world where maybe you don't identify with the in the larger culture mm. of, of what's going on around you. But... On the other hand, you have to be careful with it because it can also become another type of exclusionary politics. Mm. I think um, so. That's where the band stuff and all that was coming from. <laughs> Books have always been know, I mean, um, I think if you're if you're a writer and you're you know you're Irish, then you're going to have to navigate your way to the big greats that are kind of mm. looming in the background. <laughs> you know. So I mean, I'm. Um, and again that whole um, Finnegan's Wake thing Murph reads Finnegan's Wake but he's only reading it because he wants to think he's better than everybody else right it's, <laughs> he, I don't think he even enjoys it really you know he's spending more time in the dictionary than he is in the book mm. and you know when I read Ulysses as a similarly uh, posery uh, early 20 something mm. you know I was kind of doing the same kind of thing It was kind of two fingers up to everybody nose. like look mm. look I can do this mm. ha huh? yeah, you know yeah. and they did a bit of a pose you know but it is a club as well it's fun to be in mm-hmm. you know i'm um, so i was using that as well there's a bit of beckett in there too with the the recording of the tapes and stuff so there's um mm-hmm. studs treacle is the his, his murph's best friend who runs the hotel but he also records everyone's voices who stays in the hotel mm-hmm. and he has this big vast kind of um collection of tapes of everyone who stayed there and that's like, that's all yeah yes. Yeah, so yeah. i'm riffing off that and then there's that bit in the novel where. He's trying to explain to Alex Murray why Murph is the way he is. Mm. He plays Alex Murray the tape. Um, so I'm riffing off that as well. And that mm. kind of like because um, I feel like cultures all around you, and it's um, people want to tell you what you can use and what you can't use, or mm. what's kind of yours and what's not yours. Mm. But it's tools, and we can all take whatever we want from it and use it whatever way we feel. I don't. I've never felt like a passive user you know that I have to be just the audience or I have to be the reader or I have to be the and also that I'm the writer I don't I don't feel like I have to not be the critic or I don't have you know Mm, all these things are kind of interrelated and I can play in the space between and use them to
0: my advantage Mm, definitely (laughs) yeah and you can see that I mean let's sort of stick with the music I know you used to be a musician and as you say the role of music in Murph is quite evident A lot of writers have a very strong relationship with music. Kazuo Ishiguro famously wanted to be a musician. Ian McEwan's latest novel, Lessons, explores the importance of music in a young boy's life. And so, what do you think exactly makes this connection between music and literature so strong? I think the thing
1: about music that it's pre-language. You know, it's kind of it's coming from a place that's sound, and it's before we start attributing meaning to sounds, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's closer to emotion mm. um, in a way that's not kind of like modelled by language. Mm. You know, that kind of Wittgenstein stuff that like, you know, language makes the world that you live. It's not actually like passive. It's not like something that just carries meaning. It's actually something that creates meaning. Mm. So I think, you know, writers get a bit kind of ah mm. you know, um, the words can never be the words, you know, because there's always this thing. And I think like music... Feels like it's truer, mm. you know, to some to some kind of pre-language impulse, and then I think it gets wrapped up in a kind of mysticism as a, as a, as a as a result because mm. it's kind of we don't think about the sounds of things in the way that we think about words. I think, and so we can mm. tend to think about them as being somehow more pure, mm. <laughs> you know, and it's just rhythms and uh tonality and da da da, and it is a kind of system of communication in and of itself but because it's like pre-language I think we tend to, it's easier to mystify it as being kind of like the (laughs) spirit or some kind of like godly thing, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? We tend to think about music being the universal language, mm. and like I think that's the holy grail. It's what writers want—is this kind of like universal? I want to be able to like impart what I feel to you. Mm. And so I think writers can be drawn to music for that reason because we we kind of tell ourselves the story that that rhythms and tonality mm. and that it is kind of like a purer it's communication. Classical. Yeah, like yeah. that can like transcend transcend like any kind of uh, cultural borders or. all the other things that keep us apart, race, sexuality, gender, whatever. Mm.
0: So let's go back to some of the things that are present in love. Um, You know, it's ultimately a story of facial recognition software going beyond our control and of internet histories being leaked. Um, There's a real anxiety around computers, social media and privacy more generally in the novel. Particularly in light of recent developments Um, around, you know, the changing nature of social media, platforms like Twitter, ones which, you know, to some degree, remind us of our own powerlessness on the internet. Do you worry about our current relationship with technology?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be kind of... I'm not going to... I'm not a Luddite. I'm not going to, like, go out and start smashing the... the (laughs) You know, let's all smash our iPads in in the street kind of thing. I mean, I think, you know, technology is our tools, and we can use them whatever way we see fit. I mean, it is worrying that maybe we're not educated enough in how much data we're giving away, and maybe at the moment we're not all clued in to the possible outcomes of so vast amounts of data being in the hands of what seems to be a very few number of people who have a lot of power because they've got lots of money. And then the other issue is that they're kind of outside of democratic control, so you can see how that can go wrong quite easily, because what are our levers, if things do go wrong, to get rid of these people? I think that's a bit worrying. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I, I think we've always had anxieties about technology, haven't we? It's like, you know, it was the bomb, it was the industrial revolution, it was, you know...
0: Everyone um, wanted to joke shop <laughs> in such <a> disguises. <laughs> that's the next one. Yeah, 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 true.
1: Um... Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, I guess that's the thing with Murph, right? It's like, here's this, you know, insidious kind of technology thing that's kind of having a bad impact, but often it's farcical what actually happens. It's like, mm. you know, it's not always um, the end of the world and, uh, you know, everybody's, you know, uh, starving in the streets type of thing. Mm. Sometimes it's just kind of a farcical comedy. It's yeah, like, I mean, all that,
0: because, you know, we've talked about the sort of, Serious themes, but as you say, I mean, you know, it's it's quite a comic novel, yeah. And there are these surreal at times, kind of farcical moments. I mean, do you see life as you write it as being more of a comedy or a tragedy?
1: I think if I, I think it's up to you. But I think if you're not laughing, there's not a lot else.
0: (laughs) um... (laughs) Right, fair enough. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I
1: mean, I'm not,
0: I don't. uh, But that in itself is quite a negative statement. I don't know, is it though? Is that all we have? I'm not sure it is
1: negative. I think it's just kind of, you know, there's, there's light and there's dark. There's kind of, I'm not going for like everything's a duality kind of thing, but like mm-hmm. there's, a, there's so much contradiction. Like, I don't feel like um, I want to pretend I know what's going on or like what the answers are or whatever. It all seems so very confusing. I think most people feel like that. Even people who are like, you know, pretend to know the way... Are pretending to know the way, mm. and often you know, they've put so much effort into kind of creating these you know structures around themselves that they can uphold their positions. But a lot of the time, it is like Beckett's success, isn't it? It's nothing to do, and it's just kind of like it's all a bit farcical, really, mm. a lot of the time. So, I don't know. I mean, that's not to say that like life isn't here, like there are horrible things happening, and it is, you know, there's tragedies all the time. And that's not to kind of say that it's, it doesn't have um, real proper impact on people and a lot of things are very sad a lot of things are very funny too mm. i mean i do and I maybe it's a kind of irish thing of not taking yourself too seriously maybe that's just a kind of insecurity in myself that i feel like i have to perform joke the jokey <laughs> kind of thing but i i wouldn't enjoy I, I don't know it seems it seems more real to me that it, that sad things are funny
0: because
1: mm. often there is humor even in the darkest mm. things
0: yeah, no, it's just interesting because in Murph, even the the most farcical element of it, which is everyone wearing these disguises, they're using it as a mask for something else. Mm. Um, so it does play into what you're saying, really. Um, I guess so. Finally, what do you hope that your readers will take away from Murph? Um
1: Well, I hope they go on a bit of a journey with Murph. I mean, he's a he's a he's a curmudgeon and he's a you know he's a pain in the ass, isn't he? I've, <laughs> You know, just how rude he is, especially at the start, it's kind of entertaining, and then you know you sort of hopefully slowly you, you kind of get into his um, why he's like that, and it's kind of a his his protection in, in attempting to protect himself from the world, mm. um, and then you know, um, I would like people to think about. I I don't, I don't like the swarming on the, on the the kind of public shaming stuff that goes on, and mm. the kind of a lot of shouting and a lot of kind of. I don't know. Very unkind behaviour, you know. I just, I, I recognise that, you know. Obviously, the work of kind of holding um, people in power to account is very, very important, and also, you know, analysing the privileges of particular people, and you know that is a that is a process which is never going to end, and we, you know, rightly we should be holding people to account, but I think we also need to kind of remember you know have a bit more empathy and kind of humanity in the way we conduct ourselves with each other Mm. i mean parts of club verbal discharge things to give people a voice to speak you know let's bounce off each other and i think murph's a bit about that around as well that kind Mm. of murph's an asshole (laughs) (laughs) a lot of the people the things that are in their asshole but I've got loads of friends and people that I'm very, very interested in. Who have parts of them that I do, that I don't agree with, but I don't feel like that's like I, I can't be friends with you because there's something that I don't agree with. Mm. Because how boring would that be? That everybody holds my opinion about everything. Mm. I don't want that.
0: Mm. And it's good that you're um, you're not expected to like Murph necessarily, no. but you are committed to spending time with him.
1: Yeah. In reading about him. Yeah, and being interested in you know. Why use the way you use because mm. Because like, people are contradictions all the time, but there's always things about people that make no sense. And they're the most interesting people, I think, yes. actually.
0: Mm. Right, now we like to end our interviews at the Assertion Press podcast with a quick, fire round oh, of wow. either or questions. Allow uh, me to stretch. So some of these questions will be reminiscent of chapter three in math Are you willing to take part? Are you ready? I am, I am ready. <laughs> Okay, well, without further ado, let's begin. Poetry or prose? Uh, false dichotomy. Joke shop or music shop? Ooh, um, for
1: myself, uh, music shop.
0: Joyce or Beckett?
1: Oh, Beckett.
0: Lennon. It depends. Oh,
1: the early stories <laughs> are so good. I mean, the Dead's probably one of the best things ever written. Oh, God, God. Oh, uh, Joyce.
0: You sure about that? No. no <laughs> Lennon or McCartney?
1: Oh, Lennon. Although I watched that a the Disney. You really <laughs> hard questions. Although I watched the Disney. Have you seen the Disney documentary? Oh, the Jackson one. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, get back. I yeah. mean, I always cuz I take the piss out of McCartney and, and murph actually, he gets a bit of a rough time. Um, but actually in that in that documentary, he comes across as just such a lovely guy. And he's mm. just trying to keep his friends together. You can see he's just mm. trying to like save the band.
0: Hard-working. Um, yeah.
1: Which is really hard, you know. And actually, he was, a lot more, he was a lot more honest and kind of true to his friends than I thought his kind of public persona had uh, portrayed in, in the past.
0: Mm. Loud or quiet? Loud. <laughs> Modernism or realism? Modernism. Pessimism or optimism? Optimism. And finally the past or the future?
1: Oh, God. I mean, future never comes, the past never happened, right? It's kind of now.
0: Brian, thank you for joining me. Great, okay, thanks. Thank you for joining me and listening to the Insurgent Press podcast. This interview was conducted and edited by me, Liz Lane, and my interviewee was Brian Kelly. Brian's novel, Murph, is available to buy on Amazon and the Insurgent Press website. Join me next time when I speak to another writer about their work and the ideas behind it. Until then.